Hi, my name is Sam Williams, and welcome to episode number 192 of my 60 Music Podcast, The Millennial Throwback Machine. So first of all, I'd like to welcome all you to episode number 192 of May 60 Music Podcast, The Millennial Throwback Machine. I'm Sam Williams, and for those of you who are just now discovering this podcast, either on the Apple Podcast app, or in Stitcher, or in iHeartRadio, or on Google Play Music, or on Spotify, and you're wondering, so what the heck does Zums give you a prescription with the shows all about? Okay, so I'm Sam Williams, and I'm a 26-year-old songwriter slash producer, but I'm also a 60 music fan slash expert slash nerd, and each week of this podcast is take one song by one artist in the 60s with the show in two parts. First part of the show, I talk about my opinion of the song and why I think it's so good, or why I think it sucks, and do my own personality on the original song, which will include the chords, my lyrics, and the second part of the show, dig deep into the history behind that track. And that part of the show talk about who wrote the song, who produced it, what we'll see the song was recorded that, talk about the session musicians that play on the song, talk about the songwriters who wrote the song and produced it, the produced it, and the history behind the studio the song was recorded at, and talk about the his- history behind the musicians that played on it too, and the peak musician song we have originally on the Billboard Hot 100 charts when it first came out, and the year when the song was released. All that is in the second part of the show. Now, before you on this week's episode of the podcast, I actually want to let you guys know something. Uh, this is another little insider piece of information on what's happening with me that I'm, I'm not really sharing on social media so the only place you're going to get this is on this podcast so if you guys are listening to the show thank you very much for doing so because you are about to hear something that I will not share on social media yet but I will at some point okay so I've been talking about this for a while and I know this is something this is not news to anybody who's been listening to my podcast for a little bit but um Back in March of this year, I shot a music video, another music video with the person who I shot the last music video with, and it was for the song Turquoise Apricot. Now, most of you should know this by now if, if you've been following me for the past, for this basically for this entire year, but if you've been listening to the show for this entire year, you will know that I recently re-recorded Turquoise Apricot, and I did a new version of it. So... Um, I did a very new version of Turquoise Apricot, and basically what, what was decided is that um, is that we, we were going to shoot the, you know, basically going to, you know, we shot the music video to the old version of the song, but we re-recorded it, so um, it's one of those things where uh, we, we decided we wanted to do, do the, the, the music video that we already shot to the new version of the song that we, I just finished recording. It's done. So um, I just got the phone with my videographer, and she, she let me know exactly what was happening and why, the video was, why finishing the video was taking so long. And it's mainly because of finances and just, you know, uh, you know th- things that are happening with my school and everything. And, you know, I mean, I won't bury, bore you guys with all the details, but basically, you know, the point I'm trying to make here is that, you know, things are, you know, the things are going to happen. We're going to finish the music video, um, and it's going to, the, the, the last, the last couple of things, we're, the last thing we're going to shoot for the video is going to be uh, early October. That's basically when we're going to, we need to shoot some extra footage, and we're going to, and I'm going to do that with her early in, early in October. So yeah, that's basically what's happening. I mean, 
And for those of you know, I also want to thank you guys for being patient with me on the for this music video. And you know, because shit, I shot it last March and I still haven't seen any of it yet. Well, I mean, that you know, these things kind of take time. When I re recorded the song, I thought, wow, this is a way better version than the original. I wanted to redo it with uh, with a new version of the song. So, um, yeah, so it's you know, these things kind of take time, um, you know, but things are coming together and I appreciate you guys' patience with uh with with this and just know that the next music video is coming um I, I you know it's funny when when we do when i do have the finished version of the music video back i'm not exa exactly sure when i'll release it because um the thing is with this ep is that it's the four new songs and the last song that's coming out as part of the ep is going to be the turk the turquoise apricot the long version so i have no idea when i'm going to release that music video when i have it in my possession um, because you're not going to hear that, that song for a long time. So I might release the music video before the song comes out or after. I don't know. I have to figure that out, but the next music video is coming. Just know that it's, it's going to get finished. I want to thank you guys for being patient with me on that. I know it's, I've been a little impatient about it too, because you know, normally does it doesn't take when doesn't take me that, that long for me to shoot a music video and get it back. But you know this 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 is this one's going to be very special and I, and I just I, I know this because I, I was in the music video and I, I know it's going to look really really cool and really dope so um you know we're going to reshoot some things and it's coming so again thank you guys for being patient and uh yeah like I said before like I've already said on this podcast the next song that's coming out is going to be the Groover Girl the first so single off my next EP and then it's coming out October 19th. The release show is October 11th at Bar Lubitsch in West Hollywood. I'm on at 10. There's a $10 cover, so please come. I would really appreciate it if you're based in L.A. Now let's get started in this week's show. Also, do follow me on Spotify so that way, um, you know, you get notified when the song comes out. My artist name is Sam L. Williams. I may or may not be able to put that in the description of this episode of this podcast because when I switched over to Anchor, they, uh, what happened was that uh, they, uh, they, 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 they didn't allow me to, they're only allowing me so much space to put in so much text in the text description of each episode of this podcast. So I, you may not be able to click that link in the description of the episode of this podcast. And I'm kind of frustrated by that, but it is what it is. I already made the decision to move to anchor. It's free. It's not cost me any money to, to do this podcast. So go figure. But yeah, so, um, yeah, so, you know, again, you know, go follow me on Spotify. My name is Sam L. Williams, and that's where you're going to hear my song, The Groover Girl, when it comes out. So please go do that. Um, but anyways, so let's get started on this week's song. All right, so this is going to be a, a, one, a singular episode. There's not going to be a part one to part two because uh, there's not much to tell in terms of the history of this group. But it is going to be, I am going to be covering something that I haven't covered on my podcast in a while. And uh, it's a, it's a, it's a territory that it's been a long time since I've covered it, and uh, so it's some of this is going to be review. But to be honest with you, it's been three years since I've done a song like this. So, and it's amazing to think like, oh my god, it's been three years since I've since I've done a song like this, and like that's just again, it just proves to you the amazing amount of variety uh, that that was around back then during the '60s, and how there was so much music being recorded and released from everywhere. And being make and there was songs hitting the charts from basically every genre, every style, every 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 city was was pumping out hits. I mean, it was crazy. 
the amount of, the amount of music that was coming out in the '60s, and most of it was really, really good. And this song is no exception to that. So this is another uh, song from an area from the '60s I haven't talked about in a long time. So some of it's going to be reviewed, but you know you're more than welcome to cover talk. Let's go listen to the last episode where I talked about this, but. You know, if you don't want to, then just hang tight with this one, because it, you know, again, I'm gonna, it's gonna be a little bit of review, but it's been a while since I've covered this area of, you know, music history in my podcast, or at least rock and roll history. So, the interesting about this song is that it's a, it's a blue-eyed soul number, and I've talked about blue-eyed soul means it's basically white artists that try to sound black in the new post-rock and roll, new R&B soul era, like Sam Cooke, you know, the Drifters, you know, that sort of thing. It was the white version of that, right? So you got the white version of that, and this is basically that's basically what this is. But this was recorded in a city that was pre was very much dominated by one record company. One record company completely controlled this city in terms of what was going on with popular music, what was making the charts, what was you know what songs were getting the most airplay. This this, this the city the song was recorded in was unlike other cities because the thing is is that. In most cities, there were multiple labels that were, you know, having a good amount of hits. Um, you know, and sometimes when a song came out on a certain label, you had no idea what city the song was recorded in. So certain labels did pick up songs from other cities and other countries, and you didn't always know where it was recorded, um, you know. so. But I feel like with this particular city, um, for a very long time, it was one record company that was dominating it. I mean... This is one of those songs where it, but the thing is, is that this song I'm doing this week was not released on, on that record company. This was, this is a song recorded for an entirely different label, but more than likely using the same musicians who, who go on to play on records made by this extremely famous record company. A lot of people are familiar with it. It's a very, very huge record company that, you know, has released years and years worth of music that ev- almost everybody knows. I mean, this is one of the. It was one of the biggest record companies of the '60s, um, but it was. It wasn't released on that label, but it was recorded in the same city that this record company was based out of. So, it's really interesting thinking about. You know, at at this point, this that that label did have competition, but another thing that happened is that they actually did buy out their competition. But I'll explain more to that later on in this episode. But anyways, let's get to analyzing this week's song, and I'll talk about what makes it great musically and lyrically. But let's get to it. All right, so this song came out in February of 1966. It's by a group called The Shades of Blue. The name of the song is called Oh How Happy. Wow, this is a really, really good song. And even though it's not necessarily like my bag in terms of lyrics, because it's difficult for me to relate to this song because I'm not exactly in the same life headspace as the singers are, but it's still a great song. And we're going to talk about what makes a song so good, both musically and lyrically. But first, let's get to the music. Okay, so here is the thing about this song. There's a lot of really cool things happening here musically. I mean, 
but there's there's a very specific thing that is emphasized in this song that makes it sound cool, kind of different, kind of unique, and it, it, it's a different kind of. It makes it feel a little different than a lot of other songs from this era, and I'll point this out to you right now. Okay, so a lot of songs from the sixties, a lot of them put a heavy emphasis on the drums. I mean, the dr- especially on the Southern Soul records, even on Motown. I mean, you know, a lot of a lot of records are all about the drums. The drums were the driving force behind a lot of songs in the '60s, um, and that was the rhythm that the backbone of a lot of rhythms and and a lot of songs was that drum beat, that driving kick and snare, and just that. I mean, that was really what drove a lot of songs. But this song isn't about the drums. You, in fact, you don't re- even really hear drums in the song at all. It's mostly percussion, actually. Um, you hear a lot of percussion in this song, and there's a heavy emphasis on that. I mean, there's a lot of percussion going on here. You got hand claps, you got bells, you got you got glockenspiel, you got like, I mean, this is like this is like a total percussion song. I mean, hand, I mean specifically, it's almost like who needs drums when you got bells, you got hand claps, you got uh, chimes, orchestral chimes, you got you know, you got glockenspiels. I mean, that's that's the rhythm of the song. You don't need drums in the song. It's all about the that's that's the driving rhythm of the song. I mean, it's really I mean it really that's so important with this song. The percussion is so freaking important that it's really it's something that you can't really imagine the song without it. I mean, you got the you really it's all about that it's all about the percussion in the song. I mean, everything from the bells, the, those those orchestral chimes to the to the to the glockenspiel to the hand claps. I mean, that's that's what drives the song. And also the piano too cuz the piano does some pretty cool stuff too. I mean, the piano player, I mean, he plays the chords of the song, he doesn't do anything fancy, but I mean, but the piano player does play some cool cool chords of the song too. But really, I mean, if 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 you had to pick out one thing from the song that is so great musically, it's just how important the percussion is in the song. From the hand claps to the to the to the bells to the to the glockenspiel to uh, the orchestral chimes, uh, you know, I mean that that's what that's what really drives the song. I mean, like it's and it's really interesting because in the song of this, you don't need drums; you just need percussion. You need someone ringing that bell, that that or the, you know, hitting the hitting the gong, hitting the hitting the orchestral chime with a stick, and you need like you know, someone playing glockenspiel, someone someone hitting hitting their clapping their hands, and you know, that's that's all you need. I mean, it's just the 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 percussion is so important in the song. That it's the driving force behind it, and he and the percussion moves with the song too. It really does. You can hear the 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 um the glockenspiel move with the chord progression, and you can hear the the, the orchestral chime, uh, moving with the chord progression too. I mean, it's 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 almost it almost kind of has this churchy vibe to it. When I listen to the song, I think of like going to church on a Sunday. That's that's the kind of feel it has. You know, and a lot of religious people kind of feel like this too. So it, it, the the religious vibe of the song comes through a lot, even though this isn't a gospel song. Um, but also another thing that kind of makes it religious semi is the vocals, because the vocals are very, you know, R and B soul, very black. Even though this is a white group, you know, but they kind of have that you know church choir kind of feel to it. You know, with the with the call and response vocals, you know, with the with the with the with the with the background vocalist singing the hook of the song, you know, in the chorus. You know, so I mean, it's really you know the song is really really cool musically, and 
And let's talk about the court question for a minute, too, because there, there's some interesting things that happen here, too. I mean, yeah, I mean, in the intro is one, two, one, two, but, you know, we get that. But then in the chorus, it does this cool descending thing. It goes four, one, four, three, two, one, and then four, three, two, one. I mean, that's really cool. It's an A, so it goes from A to D, C sharp minor, B minor, A, and then again, again, back to D, C sharp minor, B minor, A. So it does the four, three, two, one, D, anything, and that's cool. And then, in, and then in the verses, it goes one to two minor. I mean, it's it that's kind of typical, but then it changes up once you get to the bridge. And this bridge, the song has a cool middle eight too. When it gets to the bridge, that's cool. I really like that. Um, when it goes to the the six minor to the five, that's cool. And then it, it does that six minor to flat seven to the one, and the, at the end of the bridge, that's really cool too. I like that a lot. Um, and then it, again, it just does that chorus progression again, one, four, three, two, one, and then four, three, two, one. I mean, basically, you know, but it just, the, in the chorus, part of the chorus, the four, three, two, one thing, a descending thing, it's like, it happens kind of quickly because it, it's one beat, one chord per, one beat per measure for the chord. So it's four, three, two, one. So basically just, it just is a descending thing, but it's quick. And, I, and I've done that before in songs, too. I used to do that in a lot of my old songs. Like, one, you know, each chord gets one beat per measure instead of two. You know, and then it, it kind of changes once you kind of get to the second part of the chorus. And then, uh, then, then basically the, the, the next part of the chorus, each, it's the same progression except each chord gets two beats per measure versus just one. So that's kind of cool. Um, you know, and I've done that before in a lot of my songs. In fact, one of the song, the theme song for this podcast, which is one of my old songs, has that exact same thing. Where each chord gets one beat per measure, and, and that's it's hard to play songs like that because you, you got to play really quickly. You got to know exactly what's coming next, and you have to do do it lightning fast. Because each when each chord gets one beat per measure, you really got to move fast, and especially when you're playing guitar and piano. I mean, it's it's you know it's, it's hard to play songs like that for sure. Um, but yeah, this that's that's another cool part about this song. Um, it's just that. That slight change the uh, the at the uh, in, in the chorus from one beat per measure for a chord to two. I mean that's really cool. Also, another thing thing I like about this song is that is the one two minor three minor uh, ascending thing that happens at the very end of the song, kind of after the last chorus, sort of like a tag last chorus tag, and then it kind of does that thing at the end of the song where it's like. It's almost like it's almost like one to two. Almost, it kind of sounds like that. It, it has that kind of feel to it, that one to two thing, you know, at the very end of the song when it kind of vamps out. And that's that's another cool part of the song, the one to two minor, three minor, that build up. That's cool. I mean, also there's a lot of falsetto on this record too. It has the song has kind of a black sound to it, even though it, it it's it's record it was recorded by a white group. It does have a black sound to it, and it's it's a really cool song to you know uh, listen to because there's a lot going on musically. But I mean, the guitar does some cool stuff too, like it does some chicks you know here and there. So it, there's there's you know there's some cool things happening. But really, it's all about the percussion, the song, the percussion, the piano. And yeah, that's that's the driving force of the song for sure. Um, but it's it's really really cool. I really like the percussion of the song. And now let's talk about the lyrics. Okay, so here's what's happening um, lyrically, which is kind of hard for me to really sink my teeth into. Because look, I've been on a roll these last couple weeks for my podcast. Every single song I've done, I'd be like, yes, can totally relate to it. Yes, it's very very uh, you know, it's totally in my bag lyrically, but not this one. But if you happen to be in a monogamous relationship with somebody, this is your song. This really, really is your song. Because this is like 
this is the perfect love song. You know, if you've ever had a, if you're in a, if you have a girlfriend or a boyfriend, you're really going to like this one because it's the perfect one. It's the perfect song to describe, you know, love for somebody else. And again, it's hard for me to relate to it because I haven't felt, felt like, you know, this kind of way towards a woman in a very long time. I mean, you know, you know how, you know how I am. I've, I, you know, thing is, is that like, you know, with this podcast is like, you guys know, I've just, mainly been sexually attracted to girls not romantically attracted to them and this song is kind of hard for me to relate to because it's not like i'm going for that monogamous romantic relationship right now but again if you're in that situation this is a song for you this is a really good song for you to for you to you know to listen to because this is like the perfect song to describe if you really love somebody then you know this is the perfect song to describe how that person may may have made you feel um you know so it's 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 a pretty good song i mean you know, um, it's again, it's a typical, you know, romantic relationship song. Like, we love each other through sickness and health and good times and bad times and blah, 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 blah. I mean, look, you know, there's a lot of songs like this, but again, it's a really good song for if you, if you, if you're in, if you're in that sort of situation, if you really love your significant other, this is a good song. It really is. It's definitely a good one to listen to. Definitely not one I can really sink my teeth into, but the thing is, is that. I've just been on a roll these past couple of weeks, you know, just recovering songs and podcasts that are totally me, totally songs I can relate to. But this one, not so much. But still, um, you know, really, really good song, um, good melody, you know, good, you know, good lyrics, um, you know, uh, pretty soulful performance by the singer. A lot of, lot of belting notes. Again, kind of not it's, it's poppy, but it's not like super poppy. It's something like prissy, you know, staccato pop, like a lot of stuff from back then. This is more soulful pop, so kind of in the same vein as the Righteous Brothers. And I'll, I'll get to them eventually. I mean, they've been on my list for so long. I need to do a Righteous Brothers song, but I'll, I'll get to them eventually. But this is a great song. It's simple. I mean, again, nothing too crazy about the structure. Just verse, chorus, verse, chorus, and then the bridge, and then the chorus again, and that little tack at the end. I mean, that's basically it. I mean, there's not much to tell lyrically in the song it's it's pretty typical of most romantic relationship songs but yeah but yeah so that that's about it in terms of how deep i'll dig into the song i mean the, the hook is cool um it kind of it repeats twice in the chorus except as a slightly different lyric each time you know i'm different sorry different melody each time but it's the same lyric just different melody each time you know it's repeated twice so yeah i mean that's cool i mean i, I like the song a lot um but let's get into the history behind it now okay so what I was hinting that er earlier in this episode is that this song was recorded in Detroit, Michigan. And if you if you know anything about music from the past, and I'm talking and, and I'm not just talking about like old music from way back in the day like 30s and 40s jazz, you know, I'm I, if if you know about any music past that when you, when you start with the rock and roll with rock and roll you know, and into the late 50s, going into the early 60s, if you know anything about that, you would know that Detroit was dominated 100, 1,000% by Motown records. And I, and I, and if you're thinking, Sam, have you ever done a Motown before? You ever done a Motown song? Yes, I have. 
it's happened before. I've done Motown before. You just you just have to go back and just go listen. So that song by the originals, I did a really good uh, you know historical take on Motown. So I, I just, it's happened before. I've interviewed two people who were part of Motown, and those are free up interview episodes. Those aren't the premium one. Those are back when I was doing those for free. So it's it's ground that I've talked about on my show before. So. Please keep that in mind. It's not like I. It's not like I. I. I haven't covered this area before of history, rock and roll history podcast. I've d- done Motown, but I just haven't done it in a while because it just like I said, like the Beatles, Motown, and you know the role. Those only make up a small portion of rock and roll history from the sixties. Even the Beach Boys. I mean, there's so much more happening besides the Beatles, Beach Boys, and Motown. So much more happening. So that's why I, I want to show you guys what other music was being released at that time besides um, Beatles, Beach Boys, and Motown. Because I feel like other stuff from the era besides those three entities are very under the radar. Very, not a lot of people know about them. So I just want to educate you guys on other stuff from the era besides those three musical entities. But yeah, so let's talk about the history behind the song for a minute. Because it was released, um, you know, it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't, it was recorded in Detroit, but not released on Motown. And let's talk about that for a minute, because you're thinking, Sam, what other record companies and what other music was being coming out in Detroit besides Motown? Because I, it's, I used something me there. I don't know what, what you're even talking about. Well, so in the in the mid 1960s, you know, yes, Motown was told Motown totally dominated Detroit. Motown was basically the Apple Records of record companies back in this. I mean, sorry, the Apple mu- the Apple of record companies back in the sixties. I was key and getting confused with the the Beatles record company, Apple Records. No, anyways, the, the Motown was like the Apple Corporation of record companies back in the sixties in, in terms of Detroit. They dominated the, the 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 music scene in Detroit. I mean, they had the most hits. You know, they were they were they they had you know every all the hit music that was recorded in Detroit you know, was all coming out of Motown. And so much so that... But here's the thing about Motown. A lot of people don't even realize this. Is that people talk a lot about, you know, how black people were suppressed in the music industry back in the 60s and how they got screwed over. But kind of the opposite happened with Motown. Because think about it like this, right? Can you name one white artist on the Motown record company? And the truth is there wasn't. I mean, there was a couple, but none of them were having any success. I mean, uh, you know, f- for the most part, like, e- the one female white artist that was on Motown, Chris Clark, nothing, which is surprising to think about considering how many freaking hits Motown had. I mean, the amount of hits that Motown has a label was insane. I mean, it's so many hits. And, he, and, and it's interesting to think that all, every single artist who was have scoring on Motown big was black. And the, all the writers are black. Most of the musicians were black. Everybody was black, but nobody white was having any kind of success on the Motown label. No, no white musician was doing was killing it on Motown at that point. It was all black musicians. So if you think about it, um, the white musicians who were brought up in Detroit, they had no opportunity being on the Motown label simply because they weren't black. They were white. So. They had to go elsewhere. They had to go to other places to record, you know, music, um, and have a career, you know, because there was no there was no place for them on the Motown label simply because they were white and they weren't black. So that's something really interesting to think about. So 
if you, so there were some white artists that came out in Detroit. Bob Seger, good example. But again, he, you know, he, he had to he had to record in other places, and and so did Mitch Ray and Detroit Wheels. They were also from Detroit, and Ted Nugent of uh, the Amboy Dukes. They recorded in New York too. They they couldn't record in Detroit because they there was no opportunity for white artists to succeed on Motown because simply because of the fact that they are a black label they recorded and released black music they were all about doing R&B pop soul and, and the white the white version of that with black artists that's basically what they did so if you were white you had no chance of being having any success on Motown and they probably I mean they had a couple white artists but they did absolutely nothing for a label and so that's the thing. So these guys were from Detroit, the Shades of Blue, but they were white. So they had no chance of being on the Motown label. They had zero chance of being on the Motown label because simply because they were white. And they were, and these guys from Livonia, Michigan, again, part of Detroit, and again, a bunch of white guys, and white guys, a bunch of guy, white guys, one girl. So... Yeah, they were called the Domingos, and uh, their original the name group consisted of Nick Marinelli, Ernie D- Ernie Denai, Linda Allen, and Bob Kerr. Th- that was their original name. So basically, they th- and the the label that they were on. This is kind of interesting. So Sam, okay, so what was the other competing label with Motown back in the sixties? You know, what label even tried to compete with Motown at, for a very brief period? Well. Um, there was a label in Detroit back in the 60s called Golden World Records, and they were owned by this guy named Eddie Wingate, and he had two labels, actually. And I've talked about this before, like, why why record uh, the average record company had a, two different labels. Their main label is the serial label. I've said this before, and it's because, uh, you know, radio stations would not play multiple songs by the same label. So these record company owners create multiple different subsidiary labels so that way they can get the most airplay with the same songs and the same musicians, the same producers, same songwriters. They they were they had subsidiary labels so that way they can get the most airplay. You know, so I mean that's basically what happened, right? So they had subsidiary labels so that way they can get the most radio airplay from the same artists or similar artists and from the same art from the same songwriters. So there were two labels, Golden World and Rick Tech Records, and they're both owned by a guy named Eddie Wig Game. And these artists were signed, were recorded at Golden World Studios. And and there is a Motown connection with this song, right? And it's very important to keep that in mind because it's hard to not, it's hard to find any kind of music that was coming out of Detroit back in the 60s that didn't have a Motown connection. All of it was connected to, the, to Motown. Pretty much all of it was. And this, this song, an artist, while not released in the Motown label, is no exception. So this song was written by Edwin Starr, who was a Motown artist. He wasn't on the Motown label yet, but he would soon become a Motown artist. He was originally on the Rick Tick label, a label owned by Eddie Wingate. And he had a couple okay regional, big regional hits. I mean, I think these songs were scored bigger on CKY and CKLW, to be honest with you. I think the songs were, uh, you know, Dejan Double of Soul. You know, Detroit did have some regional hits. I mean, they gave a lot of chances to songs and artists that you know may may have may not been scoring elsewhere. I mean, they were they 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 gave a lot of uh, you know exposure for a lot of groups that were big in Detroit. So you know, like Detroit radio did do that. Um, so yeah, so Edwin Starr wrote "Oh How Happy" by the Shades of Blue, and this is kind of interesting. This is kind of a thing where um, this was a common occurrence back in the sixties. It this did happen, and it, I feel like it might still happen right now because. 
a lot of songwriters don't always make the wisest business decisions. They don't. They do things that they, that they that they don't. They think they might be cool, but in reality, they are in the long run. They they don't they don't pay off for them at all. And this song, "Oh How Happy" by the Shades of Blue, even though it was credited to Edwin Starr, um, it was actually co-written by members of the group. They had the I- starting idea for the song, and Edwin Starr came into the Golden World Studios one day and offered to help him finish it. And of course, they were like, "Yeah, sure, no problem. Finish the song. Cool, do it. We need help finishing it. You want to help us finish it? Sure." So what happened was that he helped them finish the song, but when the song came out on the Impact label in 1966, and it actually came out in April of '66. Actually, I, I I misspoke. It was actually in April of '66. So when the when the song came out. In uh, in April of 1966, Edwin Starr was the only person who got writing credit on the song, and no one else in the group got writing credit. They were dumb. They were thinking. They kept thinking, "Oh, since he helped us finish the song, he should get writing credit." They didn't give him writing credit, but he was the only person who got credit. So they never got writing credit for the song. So every time the song I play on the radio, they got no residuals for it, no royalties for it, and that's kind of interesting. And it was also recorded at Golden World Studios. But by the way. Um, you know, let's take a little talk about that for a minute because Eddie Wingate owned Golden World and Rick Records and what happened was this. In 1966-67, Barry Gordy bought out the Golden World and Rick Tick labels and they became part of the... Any artist that was on those labels became part of the Motown roster. And same thing with Evan Starr. That's actually how he got signed in Motown is because he was first on Golden World and Rick Tick and then Barry Gordy bought out those labels and he became a Motown artist after that. So um, it's very likely that Motown session players are playing on this record because it was recorded in the rival in, in the Choice Studio. Golden World Studio B was where they recorded this. And they probably th- it was probably the Funk Brothers playing on this, you know, or guys who later later go on to be Funk Brothers. I mean, Dennis Coffey on guitar, Johnny Griffin on piano, Bob Babbitt on bass. Um, you know, just a, you know, it's possible that uh, George McGregor played drums. I mean, you know, the, George McGregor was a house musician for uh, for Golden World, so he's probably playing on this. I mean, all, a lot of the Motown people are probably playing on this session. Because it was a Detroit single, and it was recorded in Detroit and released, you know, uh, you know, in in Detroit. So it, it's possible that this was a this was definitely a Motown musicians playing on this. But yeah, so yeah, so this song was recorded in in Detroit, so it had Motown musicians playing on it. So, um, but like I said, you know, the the group did a vi- made a very unwise decision by not putting themselves down as writers for the song. And Edwin Starr was the only person that got writing credit, and they never got any royalties for the song, which kind of which may have led to their demise because the song peaked at number twelve on Billboard, right? And it came in like June, started the summer of '66, late spring, early summer of '66. But this was their only hit. They only had one hit song, and it was actually released in the Impact label, which was owned by Harry Balk, who was a, who was a New York record company owner. He owned Big Top Records in the early 60s, and that label folded, and this was probably a new label he was starting. And John Rice produced the session, and like I said, it was called a Golden World in Detroit. So yeah, it's very possible that um, that they that they that they that this was recorded, uh, you know, with Motown session players. So yeah. So um, this was their only hit. They had, they had no more hits after this, and they broke up. You know, so that's kind of an interesting. They had, this was, there was a one-hit wonder, so that's it. That's kind of interesting. So, yeah. So one more thing I'll say about the Shades of Blue before I move before I end this podcast is that um, 
they they were they like I said they had a different name, but then the engineer decided, hey, why don't you guys call yourselves the Shades of Blue? Well, I think the reason why they called they were called this is because they were a blue-eyed soul group. So the, the they probably liked the name the Shades of Blue because it it fit with their sound because they were that's exactly what they're trying to do was blue-eyed soul. So that's so they simply call themselves the Shades of Blue because it made sense because they were trying to go for that blue-eyed soul sound, that white black sound. You know, that's exactly what they're going for. So, yeah. So that concludes episode number 192 of my 60 Music Podcast, The Millennial Throwback Machine. Um, I'm Sam Williams, and, you know, if you learned some really interesting facts about this week's song, and you happen to be in a romantic relationship with somebody right now, and you really love this song, and you thought, wow, this is a great song. I really like it. And you've never heard it before, and, you've, and you heard it through me, and you're a millennial or Gen Z, definitely email me at samltwilliamicloud.com. You can also follow me and reach out to me on Instagram and TikTok at iheartoldies. And you can also check out um, the uh, EP that I put out last year. Now, the next single for the for the first single off my next EP is coming out in October 19th. So please go follow me on Spotify so that way you get notified when the song comes out. Or you can check out the last EP on Spotify and you can follow me there. Yeah, so please go listen to that and, uh, you know, but, you know, check out the last EP, but also brace yourself for the next one, because the next one is coming. The first single is coming out on October 19th. It's called The Guru Girl. You're definitely going to want to hear that. So, yeah, if you liked it, definitely email me at samltwilly at iCloud.com. You can also follow me and reach out to me on Instagram and TikTok at iHeartOldies. And also, don't forget to check out the official Spotify and YouTube playlist of this podcast. You'll be able to find... All songs I've talked about on my show so far, including some of the ones I mentioned in interview episodes. Now, um, you guys know I have a premium feed for this podcast. Um, uh, I here's the thing. So, um, I the 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 songs talked about in the premium private premium feed actually aren't on any playlists, and I'm trying to figure out if I should create a new playlist for this podcast for this pre private premium podcast. I'll let you guys know. Um, but yeah, so um, if you if you liked these songs and you thought they were really really good, or if you liked the songs from the playlist and you want to suggest me songs to talk about next on my podcast and they haven't yet, definitely email me at samltwilliamicloud.com. You can also follow me, reach out to me on Instagram and TikTok at iheartoldies. That is my username. It's iheartradio except with oldies in the title. So yeah, it's the same spelling. Yeah. So. Um, now, another thing you can check out is the two interviews I did last year with Honk Magazine, Shout Out LA. Hoping to do more interviews soon. i got to get going on the social media posts for this next EP, so I'll be posting about that real soon. But yeah, so if you, if you, uh, if you liked, uh, you know, the, you know, if you, if you really want to learn more about me and you really, really want to educate yourself about me, then please go read those interview episodes because you'll learn a lot about me from reading them. Yeah, so. Hope you guys enjoy them, and if you did, please email me at samltwilliamicloud.com. You can also follow me. You can also follow me. Reach out to me on Instagram and TikTok at iheartoldies. And uh, yeah, and uh, also check out the official Red Bull merch store for this podcast. You'll be able to find all the songs I've talked. I mean, sorry, all this really cool um, merch that is attached to this podcast. Another way you can support me, other than subscribing to the free subscription version of this podcast. And a link to that is in the description episode of this podcast as well. Please go do that because I really want you guys to hear these interview episodes. But yeah, so please go listen to that and uh, check out those interview episodes on the premium feed. And check out my Rebel merch store too because I think you'll really appreciate uh, you know all the merch logos that I have for the, the logo for this podcast and the merch items too. I think you'd really, really like it. Um, definitely email me 
and let me know your thought, thoughts on logo at samltwilliagla.com. You can also follow me, reach out to me, Instagram and TikTok at iheartoldies. And, and yeah, so um, I also want to thank you guys for listening to my show every week. It really, it means a lot that you guys do that and really, really appreciate it. Um, but yeah, um, it's really, really cool that you guys listen to the show every week and I'm happy that you guys do that. Uh, hope you guys will check out the premium description versions podcast and uh this you know my next single is coming out on october 19th which is the guru girl and please come to my show at bar lubich um you know it's uh it's uh, october 11th i'm on a 10 and there's a 10 dollar cover so please go do that it's in west hollywood yeah and yeah um another thing i want you guys to uh check out is the official music video for my song keeper my back pocket now like I said at the beginning of this podcast, I'm going to finish my next music video very, very soon in October. So please, um, you know, you know, please go check out the last music video. You know, um, I really, really would appreciate it. But yeah, so um, yeah, so I'm Sam Williamson. Thank you guys for joining me for this week's episode of my podcast, Millennial Throwback Machine. Until next week, please keep things groovy. Mm-hmm.